Now we're going to move on to Alzheimer's disease. Um, it's named after. Okay, and who was he? He was a doctor who first described this particular disease. Now, for a long, long time, Alzheimer's disease was only actual able, actually able to be diagnosed after a person was dead. Because you know what you did? You cut open their brain and you looked for stuff. So you, there were symptoms of it, but the only way to know for sure was Wait till they're dead and cut open their brain. Or if you're Angela, you could not wait till they're dead. You could, accelerate, you could accelerate the process. Now, dementia in general, what is the definition of dementia? Okay, and what is the brain function that we're losing? Okay, memory is the earliest sign but it's the ability to think. So some of the things that we'll, that we'll lose along with it are the ability to inhibit our impulses. How many of you have ever just wanted to just reach out and hit the person next to you? Oh, <laughs> Joe, you gotta watch out. How many of you have ever had the urge to just reach out and kiss somebody? Ooh, I was like, I just want them so bad. How many of you have ever had the urge to just keep sleeping? How many of you have had the urge to just get the heck out of here? So sometimes in Alzheimer's disease, you'll have people who just walk. You know, they just walk for miles and miles. And, you, and you're like, where are they going? They're not able to inhibit. They're not able to inhibit their impulses. Another thing that can go is judgment. How many of you have a grandmother or grandfather who every time, every time a telemarketer calls them up, they buy it? Or if they see it on QVC, they're on the phone ordering it. Sometimes three. It's because they begin to lose. They lose the impulse. They're losing their impulse um, inhibition, and they're losing their judgment. Okay. Now, what's the earliest sign of that cognitive impairment? Memory loss. If a person has memory loss, but no other discernible co uh, cognitive impairment, we call that mild, in co mild in, uh, cognitive impairment. So, mild, in cognitive in cog mild cognitive impairment is... Memory loss, no other symptoms. All right, as far as the, the pathophysiology, you're going to have neuronal degradation in the brain. Basically, your neurons become poisoned and begin to die. Eventually, you're going to get reduced cholinergic transmission, and your body needs acetylcholine to make new memories. So you can still recall old memories, but you cannot make new ones. And we'll talk about that dumb movie, The Notebook. Yes, don't worry. Thank you. It's dumb. Now, the characteristic morphology. Remember we said the only, for a long time the only way we could diagnose it was to wait till the person was dead and cut open their brain? 
Well, what we are looking for are these two things right here. Amyloid plaques, which are starchy plaques, and neurofibrillary tangles. Now, as it turns out, in your brain... Hmm. In your brain... What's that? That's a neuron. In your brain, you have these little proteins that stick out. You have these little proteins that stick out from the neuron. And there's a particular um, enzyme that's responsible for cutting off part of that, and then it gets recycled and then remade. What happens in Alzheimer's disease is instead of getting cut at the right place, it gets cut at the wrong place then that piece that breaks off can't be recycled because your body doesn't have an enzyme to recycle that. So basically what you have is you just have an error in the way that your body processes broken down proteins. Because your body can't break down these, uh, these little fibrous proteins, they build up and become neurofibrillary tangles and eventually begin to poison the brain. They're working on it, yes. Okay, so it has nothing to do with where it's cut. Yes, it does, because it's cut at the wrong place. Because it's cut at the wrong place, your body can't break it down. So is this the core of the problem? That if you this the, yeah. We hope. Yeah. We hope we can prevent it. They're working on a vaccine or a treatment where you can identify these being made and then you know, prevent them from occurring. So what we think is that if we can, if everyone lives long enough, everyone will eventually get Alzheimer's disease. Some people just accumulate these neurofibrillary tangles and amyloid plaques much quicker than other people. Yes, ma'am. No, we'll talk about what the drugs do in a moment. All right. Um, this uh, process is also associated with these things, but don't worry about that. All right, 90% of people who have Alzheimer's are over the age of 65, which means that 10% of them are younger. So people who are younger tend to die fairly quickly after they get it because the, the disease is much more aggressive. Um, after age 65, the rate of getting, of getting it rises exponentially. So by the time you get to 100, most people, you know, 99% of people are 100 have Alzheimer's. We'll talk about that in a moment. All right, so the first symptom is memory loss. The first symptom is the first symptom is now some of you are thinking, hey, I have Alzheimer's right now. We're not talking about just general forgetfulness. If you've always been forgetful, you don't have Alzheimer's, you have another issue. So we're talking about is a new memory loss. And what kind of memories are going to be lost? Short term. So how do you test short term memory in the clinic? Yes. Okay, and what's it called when you say, I'm going to say three words and I want you to repeat them after me and then I'm going to ask you those words in a minute. So when you ask them to say the words, that's registration. When you ask them to remember the words, that's recall. 
So registration and recall. Typically, a lot of times, family members will notice before the person notices, unless the person is very, very smart. And then, they'll, then a lot of times they'll come in because they'll say, hey, I'm really worried about what's going on. I can't remember things. I'm not doing as well at work. But most people are oblivious to the fact that they're forgetting things. So they make things up, and that's called confabulation. So confabulation is where you don't know, so you make it up because you think you should have known. <laughs> yes, you do it on tests all the time. Tertiary skin lesions. Yes, that's what it is. Disorientation. Disorientation. Well, you know what that is. I hope. <laughs> Not knowing person, place, time, or, uh, or context. Now, changes in personality and judgment. Let's talk about changes in personality for a moment. Part of the personality changes are because of the loss of inhibition and judgment. But part of it is because of the loss of memory. Why? I don't remember being friends with you. A lot of times, because they don't remember manners. Uh, well, what happens is, as a person loses inhibitions, a lot of the kind of person they were begins to come out above the inhibitions. There's a lot of manners that inhibit us from doing things and saying things we would like to say because it's not polite or it's just not acceptable. But when you, don't, when you lose those inhibitions, who you are underneath kind of starts to come out. My wife works in a nursing home, or at least used to, and she says the nicest people are salesmen and the nastiest people are policemen. And so you've got years of what they've done for a living kind of coming out through their personality once their inhibitions are gone. Salesmen make a living by making people like them. They continue to do that when they have dementia. Police make a living out of dealing with people who lie to them all the time and they don't trust anyone and that comes out as they begin to lose their inhibitions. Another issue is if you can't make memories, you forget stuff and then you become very suspicious and paranoid. So imagine for a moment that you don't recognize any of the people around you and you can't remember where you left your wallet. So what's the natural thought? These people are stealing from me and you'll hear that all of the time. In the hospital, when the demented patients come in, they go, these people are stealing from me. And it's because they have memory loss. They're, they're surrounded by strangers all the time, and they can't find their stuff, so somebody stole it. And it must have been you or that person over there. Yes, ma'am. Um, you keep using Alzheimer's and dementia like in the same context. Are they different? Okay, so that was a very good question. Alzheimer's is a is a form of dementia. There are other forms of dementia also. So let me talk about those really quickly. After Alzheimer's is the number one cause of dementia in the United States. The number two is what's called cerebrovascular where you have impaired blood flow. Could be from a stroke or just could be like the, um, basically like the equivalent of angina. So as you get increased blockage of the blood flow to the brain, you get decreased 
cognitive um, ability. That's another form. That's the second most common form of dementia in the United States. Cerebrovascular dementia. You can, uh, yeah, it can cause it can be caused by blockages in the brain itself or in the carotid or vertebral arteries. Um, another cause of dementia is drugs, um, particularly anticholinergic drugs, but also psychoactive drugs like cocaine, cocaine heroin, <laughs> marijuana, benzodiazepines, and um, brain tumors is another cause. So any, any loss of cognitive ability is called dementia, and if it's caused by Alzheimer's disease, then it's Alzheimer's dementia. So, so a lot of what I'm talking about is applicable to both. Um, anyway, there you go. All right, as far as symptoms go, moderate symptoms, the, the, the uh, light symptoms or early symptoms were memory loss, disorientation, and changes in personality. The moderate symptoms are difficulty with ADLs, so they, they, don't, they can't do for themselves anymore. They don't remember how to do certain things anymore, or they just can't. Um, in addition to the cognitive impairment, they're also losing motor ability. So if you can't think it, you can't do it. So one of the ways that we can test that is by asking them to draw a clock. So what you do is you say, I would like for you to draw a clock, and I would like for you to put the hands at a quarter to three. All right? Yeah. So you, 12 should go here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And then a quarter to three is the long hand facing here and the short hand facing there. Now, if a person cannot do this, they shouldn't be driving. They don't have enough up here to control this and this and this at the same time. So if a person can't draw a clock, they should really have their license taken away from them. All right. Patients... Patients will become anxious because they don't recognize anything in their environment. Everything is always new. They become suspicious because they don't recognize people. Um, they also will have sleep disturbances, what we commonly known as sun, sundowning. So during the day, they're okay, but then at night, when they can't see as well, everything becomes un even more unfamiliar, and they really kind of just freak out. A lot of it is sight-related. Partly, yeah. And then uh, wandering and pacing. So some of your patients, you know, if you let them out of the ward, they're like gone, nine miles down the road. <laughs> they're looking for their home. The problem is they don't know where they are, and they don't know where home is. And they don't know which home they're looking for. Um, as an example of lack of recognition, my, uh, my wife's grandmother and and her daughter lived together for like 30 years. She was 60 years old. The grandmother was 90-something years old. And they, were, they would sleep in the same bed. And one, one morning, the grandmother wakes up and starts shaking her daughter. Get up, it's time to go to school. Get up, it's time to go to school. Thought her daughter was like a child again. And she's like, Mom, I don't go to, work. I don't go to school anymore. 
You don't? Why not? She's like, well, I'm 60 years old. You are? <laughs> You're 90. I am? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so she woke up and, you know, and, and she was 60 years younger. <laughs> so that can happen. You know, people, people don't remember who they, I mean, people remember stuff from their past, but they don't have any way to contextualize it to the current. Eventually, we'll get to severe symptoms. In the severe symptoms, the patient will begin to lose the ability to speak. They can't even form enough thoughts to speak. They'll have loss of appetite and eventually become anorexic. This is the point. Um, who someone asked me how they die. This is the point where they should die right here. When they lose the appetite and stop eating, if you, you should just let them go and they'll die naturally over the course of another three weeks or so. Like they won't know they're starving. It's, part, it's the natural order of things. But what do we do? We put tubes down their nose, we put tubes through their skin into their stomach and we keep them alive for another three years. And then they've got then they've got skin breakdown, they've got ulcers, they've got MRSA. Yeah, the, the family fortune is now gone. Whatever. How long, how much does it cost to keep someone in a nursing home? Between $30,000 and $60,000 a year. Now, they will also lose, and this is where you come in, bladder and bowel control. Some of it is that they lose the perception that they have to go. And then some of it is that even if they have the perception, they just can't control it anymore. So eventually the person's brain will get to the point where it stops controlling all of their functions. What? This is neuro. Don't worry. It doesn't get happier. Now, <laughs> Um, you made me forget what I was just about to say. It was something sad. Um, oh, so what, what do you think the current method of treating Alzheimer's disease is? I mean, the, the strategy. <laughs> DNR. That would be a good strategy. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that's not what they do a lot of times. The current strategy is basically to slow down the progression of the dementia so they can die of something else first. Now, the problem is a lot of family members don't know that. So when grandma gets pneumonia or whatever, let's call 911, and what are they going to do to her? They're going to save her. So, you know, but it's a very personal thing, especially because... Part of grandma's personality is still in there, at least sometimes. And shouldn't we do everything we can? I mean, all we have to do is give her some oxygen and give her some antibiotics and she'll come back. But again, so, you know, and plus, how much time is enough? How much longer should a person live? Who is the richest man in the world? Oh, now it's Bill Gates. But who, who was it? 20, 30 years ago. 
Howard Hughes. Yeah. You know, and he went completely bonkers. But you know what Howard Hughes said? How much money was enough when he was the richest person in the world? A little bit more. And the problem when you get to these end-of-life issues is how much living is enough? A little bit more. And so the problem is you get to a point where the family, you know, eventually mom or dad can't make their own decisions anymore. Now you have to make them. And what's the right thing to do? To keep them alive a little longer to not? So... You can, I think you can see where my sentiments lie on this particular one. But then you have to also be careful because you can go the other way to where Holland is now, where they've actually killed some people with dementia so they could free them up from their hospital beds and use those beds for somewhere else. It's not the official policy, but it has happened. So... So, and the other thing is, in the old days, what would happen to our demented parents? Where would they live? They would live in your home with you until they died. Now, what do we do with them? We ship them out to a nursing home where they can keep them alive a lot longer. And then they, then they get, then they get uh, decubitus ulcers. And then what do we do? Sue the nursing home. Yeah. It's it's a huge issue. Now, this is supposed to be pathophysiology, so let's go back to patho. Now, while while alive, while alive, because you're not supposed to crack open their skull and go looking for those neurofibrillary tangles and amyloid plaques, while alive, it's a diagnosis of exclusion, which means that we're going to do an MRA or MRI to look for all, or vascular dementia, and we're going to make sure they don't have brain cancer. Nothing worse for a doctor than to go, oh, you have Alzheimer's disease. I don't need to do an MRI of your brain. And then it turns out they have cancer. And then the family sues them because they missed the diagnosis. What was the other thing? Brain cancer and Cancer and vascular dementia. Because <laughs> you can treat vascular dementia and the patients can get dramatically better. Lack of blood flow to the brain. Now, typically, once the diagnosis of, of Alzheimer's disease has been made, the person will live another four to eight years and then die. Um, so what we want to do is delay the progression of the symptoms long enough so that they can still be lucid and die of something else. Um, the problem right now is that the cardiologists are much better at treating heart disease than we are at treating Alzheimer's dementia. Now, Drug therapy, there's basically two drug classes we can use, cholinesterase inhibitors and calcium channel stabilizers. Let me ask you this question. What did we use cholinesterase inhibitors for last semester in Pathopharm 1? What was the, one, what was the drug that we had to remember? <laughs> Starts with an N. What was, what was that, what was Keanu Reeves' name in The Matrix? Hello, Neo. Neostigmine. And what do we use it for? We use it to treat myasthenia gravis. Now, where does myasthenia gravis occur? In the peripheral nervous system. Neostigmine is a cholinesterase inhibitor that does not get absorbed into the brain. It will not work 
for Alzheimer's dementia. The other one that we talked about was physostigmine. Physostigmine will cross into the brain, but it only lasts two hours. So that's not going to work for us either. We need a different drug altogether. So the drugs we need are Aricept, Exelon, and Razadine, also known as Danazepil, Rivastigmine, and Galantamine. The one you need to remember for your test and the must-know drug list is Aricept. Aricept is the oldest of the three, and it also happens to work the best. Go figure, and have the fewest side effects. Now, let's take a look at what this says here. In Alzheimer's, acetylcholine transmission in the brain is 90% lower than with normal aging. And what do we say we need to make new memories? Acetylcholine, 90% lower than normal. So, what we can do by giving these cholinesterase inhibitors is we can increase acetylcholine in the brain, which can help them to form new memories. Um, it's indicated for what we call moderate Alzheimer's disease. However, the earlier you give it in the disease process, the better the results will be. Only 30% of people on it actually get better. Um, because it was originally studied in mild to, in moderate people, so that's what the FDA approved it for. So that's what insurance companies will reimburse it for. All right, so let's take a look for a moment at what happens in Alzheimer's disease. This little chart right here is your brain. This is time, and this level is brain function. So you start out up here most of your life. Then you start getting the disease and you do this until you end up dead. Okay? Now, if we give you these drugs, say we give it to you right here, you get a little bit better. And then, now, do we actually change the curve of that progression? No. No. But what we did is we pushed it out a little bit. All right? If we pushed it out this much, maybe instead of dying here, you die here. And that's... Can you refuse the drug? Sure, and they will. Yeah. Yeah. So, now here's the other thing. If we start giving the drug right here, when the, when the person comes down to here, what's the family going to say? No. They're going to say it's not working anymore. The problem is, if you take them off at this point, they'll drop right back down to where they were before. And, oh, let's put them back on the drug. You can't get them back. So once they're on them, if they worked at all ever, you should leave them on it until they die. What if you give it again at that point where they start It doesn't matter. You can't get back. Once you want, if it worked and then they say, hey, it's not working, let's take them off it. They deteriorate rapidly and you can never get them back. So if it worked at all ever, you need to leave them on it until they die. Unless you're prepared to make to watch them get a whole lot worse a whole lot faster. Alright, the last drug we're gonna talk about whoops, is called calcium channel stabilizer. Now, how many of you have ever been to a restaurant where there's a lot of noise and what you realize is that I can hear really well when it's quiet, but in a loud room, I can't really hear what's going on. So I've got to like lean really close and I'm like trying to lip read at the same time. 
Any of you like that? Okay, what you have is a, a form of, ner of uh, nerve deafness. You've actually lost some of your ability to hear. Too much time in, crowd, in uh, loud environments. So, if it's quiet, I can hear conversations in the lab from my office. But if it's loud, I can't hear anything. And like in a restaurant, I'll be like trying to lip read because I can't hear what's, what the person's saying. So, same thing happens in Alzheimer's disease. You have a lot of noise. And so the neurons aren't able to decide, should I fire or should I not properly? What calcium, sta calcium channel stabilizers do is reduce that noise so the neurons can make better decisions. The drug name is memantine, and the uh, brand name is Namenda. It's the only drug of its kind, and it's indicated for moderate to severe um, Alzheimer's. There was recently a study that came out that shows if you give it in combination with Aricept early on, you have much better outcomes than if you wait till longer. All right, let's talk very, very briefly about that dumb movie, The Notebook. Now, first of all, who's read the book? Okay, how's the book, how's the book end differently? In the, end, in the book, what happens in the end is what happens in real life, which is she has one night of lucidity where she recognizes him, and then in the morning it's gone and it never comes back and he can never see her again. And that's how it really works in real life. I didn't. My wife read it to me. <laughs> it, was a long, it was a long road trip. So in the movie, where she has that moment of lucidity and then they both die together, only if, only if, he, only if they commit mutual suicide. The, rea the reality is, the reality is, Grandma will never recognize you again. So the moral of the story is, the moral of the story is, contribute to Alzheimer's research or plan on dying early. <laughs>